Hi, I'm JD. This is ChimeraCast, a production of the Chimera Collective. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcatcher. We also have merch available and just launched our Patreon. For backing, you'll gain access to our Discord and the ability to vote on upcoming seasides. You can also get an RSS feed for an unabridged table-side version of the podcast, which includes all our banter, rules discussions, and session debriefs. We'll also have game readings and occasional exclusive seasides in that feed. Links to the details and our social media are in the show notes. I hope you enjoy Series 9. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm playing Urazidi, the Spellblade. Hi, I'm Nathan. I'm playing Kimmon Belaskis, the Shaman. Hi, I'm Zach. I'm playing Emilio Moretti, the Bard. I'm JD. I'm your Dungeon Master for this game. This is ChimeraCast, a Dungeon World actual play podcast. Welcome, welcome to Series 9, my friends. Welcome to Session 0. I think let's start with character introduction. You can go around and explain who you are, what you're playing, describe yourself, and any pertinent details that you think you have. I'll have some questions for you guys, and then we will hopefully dive into things and get some dice on the table tonight. Because for listeners, it hasn't been any time at all since we played Dungeon World, but for us, it's been uh, six months. We're all very excited to be back in our, our home game. Ryan, why don't you go ahead and introduce Urazidi to us? So I'm playing Urazidi, who is a Spellblade. And the Spellblade is a playbook by um, Trevor Murray and Ben Rosenblum. And it's in their Incomplete Adventurer collection. That's just a bunch of playbooks that all slap. And I would highly suggest that you check them out. Yeah, definitely get it. It's, so, it's good. Yeah, yeah. Throw some money their way. Urazidi is one of the children of the Shah, and he grew up like all of the Shah's offspring in the harem. The Shah has many partners who are all sort of kept away from the court, but the harem has its own politics. And so Urazidi was sort of brought up to, nobody is brought up to inherit the throne, but they are brought up to maybe govern a part of the empire because the Shah is functionally immortal. So Urazidi is the youngest child. And because of some internal politics of the harem, he was forced to run away after stealing a map from one of his older sisters. Not sure where the map goes, just that it, it was, she was hoping that it would lead her to power, and he's uh, conniving and not very good at sort of navigating things on his own. So he stole her map and is now on the road towards wherever it leads. So yeah, to get into sort of the the Spellblade type stuff. So his alignment is evil, which means um, choose glory, fame, or power over compassion. His body is life. His eyes are arrogant. His hair is very well styled and like oiled. Um, He has a nice beard and facial hair that's sort of curled and that he takes time every day to make sure it looks good. 
and he wields a glaive, uh, not a sword. And it's very ornate. It's almost like a golden-hued wood is the haft, and the blade is like a thin scimitar blade that comes off the top of it. What'd you name the glaive? Oh shit. Um, I feel like I feel like you're arrogant enough to name your weapons. Yeah, yeah. If you want to take time, I'm that's, that's fine. Yeah, 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 no worries. Yeah. If you have other stuff you want to talk about that you can. No, no, I think I've got I've got like the an antecedent of the idea. Uh, I think there's a a uh, there's probably like a a bird eagle stylization that runs throughout the the family, right? Daddy. Yeah, the rock has a rock. Yeah. yeah. The like official imperial symbol is a if I remember right, it's a golden rock over a blue background. Yeah. Is the blade like a wing of a bird? Yeah, I I think it's something kind of uh like eagle's wing maybe just talon like i, I don't think, think the, good. the glaive isn't in itself magical yet so right. i i like the idea of it being the talon uh what else you got for us ryan is that is that all you have for Urizidi at this point so he's human which means that uh, tales of your legend are already beginning to spread when you enter a new settlement someone who's heard of you has a job for you I think that it's less tales of his accomplishments and more tales of like a child of the Shah who is kind of running loose. Yeah, I I was thinking maybe more of changing this to where it's less has work for you as like whenever nobles like tour the countryside, like people want things from you. And especially while we're in Ashkashar, if we're in Ashkashar, that gets worse. Yeah, it, it, it seems to me like work could be more like, you know, they want a favor from you or something. Yeah, yeah. I think that totally fits. So then he also has one of the starting moves for the Spellblade is Arcane Legacy. So you are part of a tradition. One thread of a weave in the tapestry of the world. Choose the nature of your Arcane Legacy. So the nature is prophetic. So tell the GM a line from the prophecy. They'll tell you another. So the line that I have is when the crimson sun rises and the gates are opened, the wielder will bring the tyrant low. I'm not going to pull that one out of my ass. I think yeah, I have yeah, to think no, about it for a minute. That's fair. But um cool. I think that's a really interesting move. Yeah, and then I also choose the legacy's organization. And so they're secretive. So I can spend one sword magic hold, which is another move that we'll get to, I assume when we start playing, um to make someone or something invisible temporarily. By organization, do you mean the the harem? No, so it's like the who taught me these skills or where uh, I learned them. So okay. the organization could be like a military organization, a scholarly organization, secretive or self-taught. And I definitely think that his mother, who is sort of a captured or like somebody sent from a, like an opposing people to appease the Shah. Yeah, tribute, yeah. Yeah, and uh, not a huge fan of being in the harem. And she's taught him how to do this. Your your mother did. My mother, yeah. Where like I had all the tutors and stuff that would normally be given to a child of the Shah, but this is something that's come directly matrilineally. Totally. Eventually, I'm gonna want probably your older sister's name and your mother's name, but I'm not gonna need them right now, so I'm not gonna spring that on you now. But think about it because it will probably okay. matter. Cool. That's basically it. Excellent, Zach. Let's go to you, man. Tell us about Emilio Moretti. Cool. 
Emilio Moretti is, I'm playing the Bard playbook first and foremost, it should be noted. He is a street urchin from Luco. Fans at home, listeners, they may not be super familiar with with Luco. It's been a city that's off screen, more or less. Think, though, you know, Venice, nice European towns that are well constructed, things of this nature. Forward thinking, maybe a little bit more, um, what's the word I want? Metropolitan, perhaps? Thank you. Yes, metropolitan is a, is a great way to think of these the type of areas from. Started as a street urchin, right? Picked up a, a little bit of a talent for using an arcane art known to the street urchins who would uh, perform for children in the streets, bringing paintings to life. They would paint with uh, black chalk and ink and you weave themselves into it uh, by letting a little bit of blood into the paint in order to give these images life and motion and create beautiful things for the kids to be entertained by. This honing of this skill brought Melio to the highest of highs, being an entertainer for, you know, one of the, one of the, the highly courts in Luco. But that was all before Luco fell. Um, some of you may not also be familiar. The Ashkashari Empire has basically leveled Luco. Not a place anymore in our timeline. Sorry that you never really got to experience it. It was great. But therefore, Melio kind of had to pack his bags and move on. And therefore, he is where he, we kind of find him, wandering around, singing songs and painting paintings for people uh, until he finds his true calling, following the impulses of the ink. Stuff on the stat line. My alignment is chaotic. I want to spur others to significant and unplanned decisive action. My race is human. When I first encounter a civilized settlement, someone who respects the custom of hospitality and minstrels will take you in as their guest. I've got some starting moves, and I guess I should show you my gear as well. Uh, I've got a songbook in a forgotten tongue, which I think will definitely come up at some point, because also, Emilio Moretti, for being a street urchin, believes he is from a long successive line of great rulers. He has absolutely no proof of this, but goddammit, he's definitely from a great line of powerful rulers. One would be crazy to try and change that fact. Uh, my armaments, I got a worn bow, a bundle of arrows, and a short sword. I want them. And uh, I'm going to take some halfling pipe belief, which in our world is going to be uh, a nice snatch of glint. Uh, yeah, Melia Moretti is coke and rhinestones, baby. Um, any other thoughts about that? So his, his appearance, he's, he's obviously uh, just you know wearing this canvas-like poncho over top of him. That's how he travels with his art. So it's covered in splotches and ink and he, you know, can lay it out and have the have the images rise from this poncho off the ground or he can even, you know, mess with it. I think it reflects his mood as well. This ink is like alive and moving. It's a part of him. I think that's more or less it. JD, do you have any questions? Am I missing anything? I don't think so, man. I mean, I do have questions, but not necessarily related to your character right now. I think it's pretty solid. Rock and roll. Love it. Nathan, why don't you tell us about uh, Kimmin Belaskis? Absolutely. As you just said, I'm playing Kimmin Belaskis, the shaman, which is the second to last playbook that we have to play for Grimworld. So if you like this, the skirmisher, pretty much any other season, we have at least one character on from Grimworld. They're all very good. We like the, this group of playbooks quite a bit. So Kimmin has intense eyes, wild hair, and a lithe body. And so, okay, a little bit of background on Kimmin. 
in season two, the focus of all of the characters was they were from a city-state called Agara, which was from a group of city-states which had recently fractured off from an empire and were warring amongst each other in a sort of arms race to try to see who could get military supremacy. Agara's approach to this was to amass an army of wizards, and thus each character in the campaign was a wizard. Magic was a very ubiquitous part of Igaran society. I am from a different city-state named Rokos, which is, well, had been establishing trade with the Ashkashari Empire in order to amass military supremacy on their side. And after the events of Series 2, which you should go back and listen to, it's great, but there was a mass event, we'll say, near the castle of one Velo Viari. And it, it occurred to me that if we were going in even roughly linear time, it's been probably close to a decade since that happened, perhaps even more. Yeah, we've never really discussed the timeline of our games, so it'll matter when we make it matter. It will matter on my campaign. But there is a body of a decaying god there. And so people reasonably went to this place to try to scrounge for things. Fucking God Blubber, yeah, let's go. I, I mean, um, namely God Blubber, but also there was a material very present in season two called Soul Glass, which is useful in ritual circles, and is namely what I use and will be using to craft my totems. In my main connection to the spirit world, I found a piece of Soul Glass with a character which I briefly introduced and wanted a lot more from, named Babadia. Babadia is an immortal beetle which has been encased in soul glass. I fucking totally great. fucking forgot about <laughs> <laughs> And acts as my vector to the spirit world. Oh, man. I think that series is just too full of good ideas for the rest of us to handle. We haven't even brought back Nono Chalice, which are one of my favorite things. Oh, yeah, the Nono oh, yeah. Chalice. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were Fuck, I the do time spiders. It. What the hell? They were spiders that bored through reality to magical maelstroms. Ugh, so good. I don't know, man. We were all like on the big bong ideas there in that, yeah. in that series. Liquid Goblin. I said earlier that it's very good, and I think there is a lot of good things there, but we are sloppy drunk in that game. So <laughs> listen to it. It's a lot of fun. We're very drunk. So Kimmon wears some light leathers of his area and has a bandolier with tiny discs of soul glass, which he etches on vague facsimiles of the spirits that he is calling on. So to give you a rundown of the shaman, the shaman has a spirit pact. I have made a pact with the spirit realm, allowing me to create up to three worldly spirit totems. Describe what they look like. I just did. I can spend time to create them. So I, as I said, I, I, I etch onto the soul glass and I can call upon a series of worldly spirits, or if I am near a spirit that died recently, or if we're in an area where JD is like, there are some really cool spirits here, maybe Cyclops spirits, who knows, that I could potentially put in totems. And I can summon them with a word. Each totem starts with one charge, saying the spirit's name will release it and consume a charge. When a totem runs out of charges, the totem shatters and the spirit cannot return. There are ways to get more charges on totems with advanced moves and things, but innately I only have one charge. Uh, I can talk to spirits, so when I say the name of a spirit totem I've made, instead of consuming a charge, I can roll plus wisdom. On a 10+, plus, the spirit is successfully released and it returns to the totem afterward. On a 7-9, through nine, the spirit is released but choose one. I can draw and welcome attention, put myself in a spot. My reputation with the spirit realm is damaged, 
or a charge in the totem is still consumed. So I can just release the totem if, by saying its name, or I can try to basically bargain with the totem to come back to me. And as I mentioned before, when I witness a creature dying, I can potentially catch a spirit. And I'm gonna, we're, I want to talk about this a little bit. So we, JD, we were talking about this before we started recording the game. You can leave this in or not. That's fine. The shaman has some really uncomfortable overtones to it. Largely what I'm interested in is closer to the Ghostbuster aspects of it, and that's more what I'm going to lean into, and also having a vector into the spirit realm, which I do think is interesting, and we've established in our game a series of worlds which intersect at varying points with the reality that we have. So having somebody who can interact with those planes is totally reasonable. But there's some stuff in this class that is... So for my look, I can choose a bone shirt, animal skins, or ceremonial garb. Uh, for my... My gear, I can choose, you know, a painted wooden shield, mushrooms to trip and do spirit finding quests and take drums. I'm going to try to avoid these things as best I can. Not because I don't think they're uninteresting to engage with, but I'm not comfortable being the person that's engaging with them. I, I just don't. That's also not what I'm interested in. Like, those aspects of this archetype are not really what I like. Anybody have any comments on that? We had a similar caveat when I was first going to go play a druid. These are, I think, tropes that are kind of baked into fantasy um, in general, D&D specifically. I don't think that the shaman itself is problematic. Some of the flavor is just a little like, I don't know, it's not creative. It's like the mean way to say it, I guess. But I get why they made those choices and they wanted to give it a certain flavor to evoke it or whatever. But there's so many shamanic traditions to draw from. And then to your point, what it's doing mechanically isn't necessarily tied into that. And so you can flavor it however you want to what if you were to just pick like some of the default gear here you'd have a painted wooden shield and a spear and a bunch of dream cap mushrooms and then all of a sudden you're in a looney tunes cartoon yeah. and <laughs> getting you know thrown into a pot with carrots chopped with you it's it's not great and i don't know that it's a way you need to engage with this class so if some of that puts you off again we really like a lot of the mechanics of grimworld and the flavor of grimworld and this class mm -hmm. is great and really well written so some criticism there and take that however you will. That's how I'm engaging with this class. I 100% agree. It's also like, don't always go for the lowest hanging fruit or the lowest common denominator of your tropes. Try and complicate them in some kind of an interesting way. Yeah. Just investigate them in some kind of a way. And the angle of attack with your, which you're taking Nathan is very far from what the baseline of the tropes that, especially like the gear and items sets up. So I understand your reticence to try and engage with that because I don't you're not doing a naturalistic like coax these spirit animals. Your shit is from a dead god body that connects yeah. you to the spirit realm. You're kind of farther out in left field. Yeah. Then. Lots of cultures have people who are like specially trained to deal with spirits. Even Catholicism recently, you know, had exorcists. You can do a lot more with a, the sort of idea of what a shaman is and, and calling it a shaman is part of what makes it problematic because that's you know language that especially anthropologists tend to use with people who still practice sort of a um, polytheistic or animalist religions so they started off on a wrong foot but just remember that kind of stuff when you're approaching like i don't know lots of fantasy dragon games have a shaman class who probably don't need one or shouldn't call it that and it's it's already a loaded term so just keep that in mind 
the last thing I was going to say is that especially powered by the apocalypse games deal in tropes. That's part of the playbooks being so stripped down. And what's important is less so what's on the page and more the actual human character that you're playing. I don't mean human as in human elf or dwarf, but, you know, being a whole realized person is, especially in PBTA games, a lot more than what's on your sheet. And so I think as long as you're actually trying to play a real person and not a series of tropes walking around, I think you'll be all right. Yeah. Cool. Not that out of the way, not not to give the Grimworld creators no nothing at all these aren't the only items you can take i chose instead a a ceremonial dagger and light armor made of something like hide or bone i I went with just leathers and i'm gonna take uh poultices and herbs because i'm a traveler jd do you have any other questions for me i know i kind of derailed us really hard but i i thought that was something really worth talking about with this class because i think there's good things here but it needs that kind of criticism yeah i totally agree um no i think that's good for basic questions i have for you i think it's a really cool concept to roll with i think now's a good time to do bonds and flags for you guys so let's go around the table and make this happen uruzidi how about you start with your bonds and your flags yeah so my my bonds are i will convince Melio to write my ballad and kimmon may serve as a useful retainer in the future and Urizidi's flags are show me a blind spot that my royal upbringing has caused in my worldview and help me fulfill one of my order's prophecies. Uh, excellent. Melio, how about you give us your flags and bonds? Cool. My bonds. I sang the stories of Babadin long before I met them Babadia. in person. We just... Babadia. <laughs> Why the... F- hang on, I'm going to just... Uh, uh, yeah, it's no, a- it's just because the A looks like an N. Shut up, Ryan. <laughs> go, go, go! Shit your pants on a run. All right, <laughs> my bonds. I sang the stories of Babadia long before I ever met them in person. That was my extra one. I took one. They're an interesting character in our world. ZD is often the butt of my jokes. And last, Kimmon has promised to open my eyes to something sublime. My flags are as such. Tell me my story is boring. And the other one is, give a part of yourself to my story. Cool, cool. Kimmon, give us your bonds and your flags. All right, my bonds are Melio and my spirit are bound together. The spirit in question both means my uh, youthful vigor, sort of, as well as my literal guardian spirit, Babadia. And Zidi must learn to respect the spirit realm. Zidi is a is an impetuous and poorly acclimated to the world person, but also is part of a lineage that literally has domination or at least strives to have domination over everything. And that is, to be blunt, bad. My flags push me to acquire treasure despite cost to my spirit. We talked a little bit about 
Kimmin being a sort of treasure hunter and you know going to the spirit world to get trinkets. So I want to do more of that. And help me harvest spirit energy. That also kind of falls under the same blanket, but is more directed in a different way. Cool. Excellent. All right. With that, I will get into the questions I have for you guys. I'm going to kind of go around the table and ask each of you individual questions that hopefully you find interesting about kind of what's going on or what we're going to get to. Some of these will be like personal questions. Uh, and then as we go, I think you'll see that things start to focus in or whatever. So I'm going to start out with Rizidi. What ally do you still have in the court of your father, the Shah Nashkashar, that keeps you up with news and gossip? How do they communicate with you? Uh, so not all of the mages or sorcerers who the Shah has sort of bonded or has under his control are as loyal as others. And so I think one of them, and I don't have a name right off the top of my head, but I can get one or come up with one, is like an origami mage. And so I get little like scrolls that are folded up as birds or cranes. It's almost like a carrier pigeon service is what he's used for. And I get them delivered to me like they fly and find me. I love the idea of an origami mage. I like not mundane, but smaller uses of magic. That's fucking cool. Yeah, it's great. I think it's more maybe that he can animate objects and that that's just like his chosen. It's almost more like his art form than like he's not an origami mage. He's an animator, but he's often only used to to do like message delivery because it's not like a bird that'll get tired or lost. May I suggest something else, perhaps? Because we've talked a lot about, particularly with the various tomes of Vorkal Khan, that you need to study specific materials to be a mage. So if they specialize in paper, that doesn't seem ridiculous at all to me. In fact, very functional. If they were a librarian. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I think that's cool. What if they're yeah. a librarian for in the in the Shah's court? Or, like, they just literally are a messenger? Yeah. I mean, it sounds more like they're a scribe, which would be which would be part librarian, part messenger, part historian. Yeah. I think probably he makes, like, really, or they make really um, beautiful illuminated tomes. Almost like a pop-out book. <laughs> oh, man. How badly does uh, Amelia want to meet this guy? I'm here for it. I'd, I'd like to meet him. Hell yeah. Okay. So, Kimmin, I didn't really know what you were doing for your full character description. Let me know if this isn't going to work for you or if you want to take my questions and interpret them. I only I wrote these down when I knew you were just going to be a shaman, so I just rolled with spirits and stuff, um, but hopefully that'll still work. Is that cool? Yeah. Kimmin, what ill spirit did you most recently have to wrestle back into its body? What part of the experience still lingers with you? During one of my more recent expeditions to gather materials, so we, I was accosted once again by the wild dogs which surround the glass mines. I try not to hurt them because it's really not their fault. They are the way they are. They're all half-grown with glass inside of them, morphed from the toxic, basically toxic waste that is coming out of this place. A swamp is growing there. And this poor dog was getting stretched between two places infected by the awful magics that exist there. And so I helped. I brought it back entirely into this plane. I still bark sometimes randomly, though. All right, uh, that rips. Thank you. 
Melio. A forbidden poem tells the tale of a Cyclopean king that sought immortality. Who close to you whispered those 1,111 stanzas in your ear? And in what horrendous way did they perish soon after? It was the old man who taught me my arcane art, Vito. It was horrific to watch. One night, he called out screaming, and I walked into his room. And the ink that we had used to create our art had covered his whole body. And in his, with his last agonizing words, he choked out, Out of red! As the ink covered his face and dipped down into his mouth so that he just became this inky husk of a man. What were those last words? Should not have read. So yeah, his own art turned in on himself. Burazidi, what non-human creature or thing follows you, thrall of your fathers, sent to keep watch over you? What happened the last time you attempted to escape its gaze? Yeah, so I think it's an imp, a Pythian imp, who he's summoned up. And I think the last time I attempted to escape its gaze was when I was trying to leave Ashkashar, the city. And the Shah keeps a contingent of cataphracts who have been injected with his own blood sort of in reserve. And when I went missing, they came and found me because he can use them like puppets, like extensions of his own will. That they're, they're very loyal because they're considered like the blood of the Shah. Is it one of these cataphracts that's following you then? Yeah, that, that might be cooler. I think simplifying yeah. that, and also I love these guys now, so I want to <laughs> have that following. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a fucking blood legion, basically. Yeah, so I'm basically being followed by one of these uh, knights of the blood. Oh, and then what happened then? I think the Shah is interested, maybe not interested, but curious in the squabbles between his children because he has lots of them. And when one is sort of attempting to outdo another, he's always looking for new generals, new governors, that kind of thing. And so he's taken an interest. It's less that something like really bad happens and more that it has never mattered how hard I try to escape. They always find me and so it's always like you know the horsemen appearing on the horizon following me into town cool i dig it i like the introduction of these uh blood injected heavy cavalry kimmon when a powerful and angry spirit haunted the land south of your home how were you able to purge it and then what did it hold within it or carry within it that linked it to the vulture lands this could be Rokos, or it could be further back in time if, for example, you like grew up in a village on the outskirts of one of these cities or something, or interpret it however you want. I was actually thinking that we had talked about, at the time, the other city-states, one of the other city-states had attempted to gain power by dealing with Ronger Kam. And the Rongi dwarves aren't necessarily known for, at this point anyway their reliability. They're becoming increasingly volatile and reclusive in the last 50 years or so. And when one of the trade deals that this city-state had set up, how about Nirokton, when something didn't go quite right 
with one of Naroctan's deals with Ronger Kam. The Rongis sent back a sort of Trojan horse of sorts, which had been inhabited by... Oh, what kind of spirit, though? Why are you making a face? I just know what I want. What do you want? I want a boar god. I love that. I love that. So they so they sent a giant stone boar, which magnificently, immaculately carved, as a sort of peace to say, no, no, everything's fine. It, 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 no hard feelings over the deal. And this boar animated itself and destroyed the land. Hell yeah. So I and a few other recreational, I suppose, people who had been gathering soul glass and interacting with the spirit world. Weekend wizards, sure. Basically. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> went to try to calm this boar god down and banish it from the land. Its connection to the vulture lands, the vulture lands are a sort of mass grave for gods that the Rongis have been expelling from their lands for the past millennia. And that was where they kept the boar god. Ig Helgar, the desolate one. Ig Helgar, the boar god. Yeah. Excellent. Melio, what patron funded this expedition to write your own history of the Cyclopolis in the heart of the vulture lands? What piece of yours made them fall in love with your work? I'm sorry, the what? Did you say the Cyclopolis? Huh, yeah, what? <laughs> Are you just, <laughs> just going to breeze over that one? <laughs> My patron is Frothgar from the Northern Fjords. He was entranced by my story of the desolation of Luko. He loved the true barbarism of a city being razed to the ground and overtaken by a righteous hand. He thought the details were uninteresting, the Shah not of note. If one edit he had for me was that it should have been him. But... I was pliable to his needs, and for many nights, I retold the raising of Luko with Frothgar in command. And thus, he sent me on a new journey to discover origins and to prove true to the fact that the dwarven blood in his veins runs all the way back to the precursor of existence. Oh, you're supposed to prove that Frothgar is of Cyclopean blood? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. That dwarves are direct descendants of Cyclo- Cyclopes where men are men are not. Sick. I was just like, who, what patrons do we have around that could use? I was like, hey, we haven't used this old boy in a while. Also, Frothgar would totally be down with the story of a city being leveled by some dictator. Tyrants recognize tyrant, dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Urazidi, when did you learn of the Shah's desire to have the Eye of the Immortal? What do you plan to gain from either bringing it to him or denying him it? So I think the uh, Eye of the Immortal can grant omniscience, but it's cursed. So it's not, it's like imperfect omniscience. And so by giving it to him, I think Urazidi is hoping to like use that imperfect omniscience against his father 
And the only reason that he wouldn't give it to him is if he thought that his position in court by, you know, saving his father from this would be secured. Becoming the right-hand man to his father, essentially. Stepping over probably his 30 or 40 siblings to become next in line. It rules super hard that you're like, it grants omniscience, but it has a blind spot because it's, it's one eye. Hell yeah. All single eyes have blind spots. <laughs> it's just like, that's good. <laughs> Kimmin, when a friendly spirit learned that you were headed to the vulture lands, what dire warning did it give you? And what trinket did they give you to ward it? Oh, great. I'm going to the, the place I created earlier where they throw all the dead gods from... Okay. Um... <laughs> Say the beginning. It's explicitly a spirit that they warned me of. Uh, no, 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 no. It's no. It, it was a friendly spirit that warned you of something dire, but not necessarily a spirit. They warned me of human wizards who were going there and taking the dead bodies of gods to use for their rituals. The trinket the spirit gave me allows me to look however I wish, present myself in whatever form I want to a person, a single person as long as I know their name. Unfortunately, that also implies that there was a specific wizard that they were warning me of. What's his name? Do we have wizards that we've introduced that would be Pythian? Uh, Any Pythian wizards running around? Like one that is Pythian? No, no, no. That Or one that like studies Pythia. That studies Pythia. Do not one of the, the colors engage with that? We haven't introduced one specifically. Oh. What about like an orange color? Of the... Nope. The burnt sienna prism. Nope. Settle down, everyone. <laughs> I have it. So our inspiration or one of our inspirations for Pythia is Carcosa. Mm-hmm. And specifically Carcosa has three colors that are, do not exist in our world. And we don't necessarily need to name them the same thing or whatever. But the idea of a wizard sect within the prism, which all are named after colors that name themselves after this Pythian color that we cannot perceive makes perfect sense. Yeah, Yeah, totally. So I would say, Nathan, especially as the creator of Pythia, what is the name of the Pythian color? Oh, no. How about Ilm? Mm. The sickly color. Ilm is real good. I-L-M, yeah? Yes. The head mage of the Ilm facet of the prism. Those tasked with studying Pythia. Now we're going to need a name for the wizard. Also, I realized Elm is spelled with a Y. What am I, a fucking idiot? Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> it could also just be L-M. Razamil? That's a dumbass wizard name. I love it. Yeah, Razamil. All right, cool. Uh, do you want to say what this trinket like looks like or what it is, or you just want to leave it? Whatever. I guess it doesn't have to be a physical trinket. No, I really like the idea of it being an earring. Oh, cool. It is an earring with a long, slender piece of Elm-colored metal. Yep. They literally gave me a Pythian trinket. I may have talked to a Pythian ghost. Melio, what dread phrase is it that you find yourself unconsciously and unintentionally writing or singing that always leaves a taste of ash in your mouth and a numbness in your fingers after it appears? You said dread phrase? Mm-hmm. You can hyphenate it if you want, but it doesn't need to be. Do you want this to be uh, something of our language or do you just feel, uh, do you, are you basically saying like this is like a chorus that keeps coming back? Is that what you're thinking? It is an intrusive thought, is my idea. Mm. You find it appearing in your art, whether you intend it to be there or not. It could be a line, it could be a couple of words, or if you want it to be, it could be something not in our language. That's fine. 
Here's what keeps coming back. It's, and the skinned shall become skinless and bone and servants. Fuck yes. All right, we're entering the home stretch, lads. You've passed for three weeks through the step of Sky's Reflection, heading toward the ancient and almost forgotten dwarven walled city called Law in the Howling Valley. The days on the high step have been long and windy. The nights have been cold and perfect for fires. What was the song you performed that proved to be your companion's favorites, Melio? What ghost story did you tell that perfectly chilled your fellow travelers, Kimin? And what delight did you bring to share from Ashkashar that you've now run out of, Uruzidi? I can go first. Sure. I told the story of the dwarven builder working on the walls of Ranger Kam, who worked for so many days and nights that they themselves became part of the wall, half in and half out. They had to be fed equal parts dwarven food and rocks, because that's what walls eat. The scary part, of course, is that when they took that part of the wall down, it being deemed, for some reason or another, unable to bear its load, they couldn't find any trace of him. But all the rocks, all the stones that they used in other parts of the walls, wailed with his same voice and demanded to be fed. Cool. Uh, I can go next. Sure. Yeah, so Urazidi brought a vial of crimson glint. You dog. <laughs> yeah, I know. It suffuses the imbiber with a sense of warmth and, like, homeliness. It's supposed to be soothing. Uh, it's like snorting Christmas. <laughs> well, we had talked about various kinds of glint being used in, in spirits or mixed in with water or whatever is this meant to be drank almost like a tea it's yeah a, it sounds I, like it I, I think it's a or, or like i think what he brought it in was more like a almost mold wine kind of thing like put it in wine heat it up over the fire and drink it down but also it's just becherovka right like what i don't know what that is becherovka is like a, a really traditional czech uh, liqueur that tastes like pine trees and cinnamon and it's a common christmas liqueur oh it's pretty funny. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I sang the song, The Head That Crushed the Chests of Nobles, because I've recently gotten paid by a very, very powerful dwarf. I told the great story of how he once nakedly used the power of his dwarven gods to delve his head through the chest of some usurper to the throne in a murder mystery. It was very delightful. I was very high, and I made some caveats and maybe a couple of colorful changes to the story, putting myself there at the time. Are you workshopping your your song for Frothgar on your two traveling companions? <laughs> yes, exactly, yes. What I'm just really confused about the part is the, the part where after he takes the throne, uh, the skin shall become skinless and bone and servants. Like, I don't understand how that fits the story. Yeah, that comes in that comes in a little bit later, but yeah. <laughs> it takes a real turn there. Yeah. The denouement. Not great. I tell the story of Frothgar headbutting a guy to death, and obviously we all revel in violence, I assume. I'm a pretty nice guy. I don't know. 
Sure. Depends who the violence is against, but yeah, generally. <laughs> For all three of you, now that you've entered the Howling Valley and these outstretched farmlands, other than the fact that they don't speak common or seemingly any language that any of you know, what strange feature or habit do the dwarves here have due to their centuries-long isolation? could be a physical feature or a cultural feature, basically. But if it's a strange cultural feature, it would be something that is very distinctive to you, not just the strangeness of being in a new land. So this is the Howling Valley, which I assume is like a reference to some ungodly, terrible wind that blows through. Yes, the idea is that the step that you guys travel through is very windy, and then it all gets funneled up this valley, so the wind is super intense here. Yeah, so I think these dwarves that live here use a series of calls to communicate over long distances that they do where they like pitch their voice to almost play counter harmony to the wind. And so that's how they like the shepherds and stuff call back to the village or between villages even. And they let these these calls that are clearly not the wind, but sound almost like wind howls be their communication between each other. Oh man, so in the Howling Valley, not only is there constantly the screaming wind, but there's always a conversation happening above that that you can hear, but you can't really tell what they're saying, you know? Yeah. All right, I have one last question, but the good news is you get to roll. There's There's a move attached to it. So for all three of you, what gift did you all work to bring the dwarves for passage through the city of law? Describe how you acquired it and one of you roll plus an appropriate stat. If you want me to read the whole move first, I will. So I had this idea pop into my head. Okay. It is uh, a highly delicate flower. It's a dandelion, but it when it gets out of this seed form, as it as it's super delicate, obviously to the wind, the reason that they can never get them in their area is that the wind rips through these think of like the the structure of the plant being like a dandelion all of its seeds just scatter to the wind so quickly we're carefully carrying it across across this step to help them but nathan or ryan what is the healing or edible property of what this plant grows when it comes to full life but i like this idea that we're just carrying this small delicate flower in our hands i love it a lot yeah it's really good i was thinking about a plant so i i really think it's really cool yeah so we have it like this uh glass case almost or not a glass case but like you know i'm thinking like like the like a flower from uh beauty Beauty and the beast Beast. yeah totally beauty and the beast yeah yeah totally totally is it to aid with conception like yeah. it's because you use we're comparing it to the dandelion. Is it to like help conceive? It's a fucking aphrodisiac or whatever. Yeah, that's fucking hot. And yeah, that's a good I idea. I think that's cool, uh, especially for like a you talk about an isolated culture that's having problems procreating is like a real fucking problem. And why they would actually reach out, you know, or, you know, ask for ask for help. And that, that feels like a, a pertinent question, I guess. Like we need our line to continue. Maybe they're becoming a bit inbred, and this will help ensure a defect-free birth. It ensures healthy children. That's interesting. I like that a lot. Yeah. It's also just old-world weird shit. Yeah. So I guess it's on me, then, how we got it, huh? Well, it doesn't grow here. It grows in the spirit world. 
Yeah, that's hot. Good. It germinates in the spirit world, right? Like, or it... Or when the seeds blow away from Earth, they don't blow into our world. They blow into the spirit world. That's fun. Yeah. So that's why you can't get the seeds. That's cool. Yeah, so I I had to call in some favors, as it were. No, I had to help that boar pass into the next life. You got it as a result of that? Yeah. Okay. Is that... Is, does that not work? Does that not work? You're making a face. No, no, it totally works. Um, I'm just trying to think of the stat that that works. Because originally, when you said favors, I would assume charisma. But the way you're describing it, maybe it's something else. So, what do you what do you think you're shooting for? Because it sounds like you're the one making this roll. What's your What's your stat to uh, like contain the spirits within the totems? Uh, wisdom. Wisdom is what I usually roll to. I think I think that makes things. an analogous yeah, sense. Wisdom's fine. In the sense of like, yeah, coaxing and. Yeah, so go ahead and uh, roll roll plus whiz for me. How how you know easy was it to get to this uh, as a result of of everything that was happening? That's a ten. Ten. So the move that I had written for this went a little something like this. On a ten plus, you also acquired something else. Describe it. On a seven through nine, it only required a bit of effort. Describe why you needed an item and mark it off. Uh, on a six minus, describe what hindered your acquisition and mark a lingering debility. So you will not have to deal with any of those. Basically, while you were there grabbing this, you were able to acquire something else from, it sounds like, the spirit realm. Go ahead and describe whatever it is. So it sounds like we were given the flower and I took something else. Into it. That's cool. What could I... You're making a face, Zach. I want you to have a boar tusk, too. I don't know what it does. Yeah. I don't hate that. I took, I but, but di- he did us a favor, and I took his, I took his tusk. It's not really who I want to be. I was thinking more just from, oh. from the world in general. Oh yeah, I, I also was thinking of it that he's a main tusk poor guy and it fell out of his head. But I mean, just taking one of his teeth could be cool. One of the poor god's teeth. In no way would I expect you guys to discuss whatever this thing is does necessarily, if you even know. So if you just want it to be a poor god's tooth, that's cool. I'm just saying you don't. I'm not expecting you guys to come up with a full magical item or anything. I like that. Yeah, a tooth of the boar god. All right, hell yeah. That is the end of my questions. You did it. You completed my questions. That will be the end of session zero. When we join up next time for session one, we will continue your journey up the Howling Valley as you guys reach the dwarven walled city of law and order. Bum bum! could be a line it could be a couple of words or if you want it to be it could be something not in our language that's fine 
No, uh, I'll, I'll figure something corn, out. Corn's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> a boom, jack a boom, bangaria. <laughs> I have the strange urge to follow the leader. Freak on a leash. <laughs> I, I too feel like a freak on a leash. <laughs> what was the name of that wizard, JD, that I said? Uh, Razamil? Razamil. I love, Razzamil I love him. sounds like something you take because you're 50. <laughs> I'm going to pop two Razamil. Dude, no, that's the, isn't that a, there's a Twitter page or something that's like um, drug or dragon, and it, it just lists like modern <laughs> that's really good. medicine names it's or, like Raz- or dragon yeah, names because it fantasy, is, and it's impossible to tell. It's definitely like Razapan is definitely in there. You're like, ah, <laughs> uh, no, like that's, bu- that's got to be a drug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. It's Melio or Emilio? It's Melio. Melio, okay. but yeah, probably. Oh, it's yeah, Melio. It, it is okay. Melio. Like the sandwich place. Yeah, like Melio's. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. I did after I wrote it, and I was like, "Man, I'm not going back. I don't care. <laughs> Fuck it. My name's Subway. I don't do rewrites. <laughs> or pencil or not. Hey, it's, it's me, your friendly bard, Blimpy. <laughs> <laughs> Do hey, it's Jersey Mike. <laughs> you want mayo with that sriracha mayo with that? Would you like some ranch? Maybe a little salt on it. Whole wheat or white wheat? Would you like it whole grain? I don't know, but it's got a delicious taste for you. <laughs> who let Zach? Strangely, who let Zach be a bar singing as he was? Yeah. <laughs> that was that was a song he sang as he was being walked up the gallows. <laughs> oh, sorry. These quizzes. <laughs> I saw someone last year who was like, the reason 2020 happened is because of this cursed commercial. And it was the Quiznos subs commercials from when we were kids with the like hamsters singing horrible <laughs> songs. I was like, yeah, this is the reason that 2020 happened. We invoked the fucking devil and he came down <laughs> and reckoned us. Right. The devil watches lots of TV. <laughs> For sure. Just kicking back at my lazy boy. Yep. <clears throat> Better to rule in heaven than it is to serve. In- <laughs> <laughs> what is what's the, what's the name of your beetle again? Babadia. Oh, I was hoping it was Babadia. <laughs> yeah, no, Babadia. Because it would just be Boomhauer, right? Better to goddamn Babadia. Dang, 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 gotta get that, get out, get that bear out of the spirit of mine. Dang, on, yep, yep. <laughs> These quiznos sounds! <laughs>